And my title for this morning is The Lost Art of Spiritual Reflection. The Lost Art of Spiritual Reflection. And there is a take-home message that I want you to leave with today. And this is a cry of your heart that you might be able truly to say to God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. Now there is a verse of scripture which that is based on, Psalm 139, verse 23. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Wow, what a prayer. Then there is another verse from Proverbs, chapter 20 and verse 27. And this gives us an indication of how God searches our hearts. Here it goes. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all his innermost parts. So God has placed within us a capacity for spiritual reflection, which when used by the Holy Spirit takes us to a positive goal, a positive end of asking God to search our hearts as we spiritually reflect on how we're doing in, the, in our spiritual lives so that we can discover what God is really doing and he's doing great stuff in all of our lives. That's a given as a Christian, but also we may cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Last year, 2015, Ridley Scott, the great movie director, released a movie entitled The Martian, starring Matt Damon. And the story goes in the movie how that Matt Damon, who was the principal character, was left stranded on Mars and had to fend for himself and try to survive and find his own way home. Now, this movie was heralded as a major breakthrough in accuracy of science in movies. So, very highly accurate scientifically. And also, it was so accurate dramatically. In fact, scientific accuracy and dramatic impact combined to make many people believe that it was a true story, that it actually happened. And we all know, well, we should know, that man has never yet stepped foot on Mars, let alone been stranded there. But it was so, so full of impact that people were tweeting all kinds of tweets about this, thinking that it was real. We have a tweet there on the screen, and the name of the person, the dear lady, has been blotted out to protect her embarrassment. She says, sometimes I'm smart, and sometimes I Google. Well, we all know what that means. And here was her question. Is the Martian based on a true story? Another tweet was discovered. I just found out the Martian isn't based on a true story. Honestly, I'm pretty disappointed. Now today, science and the media very often project a reality which doesn't correlate with the reality of all realities, and that is the reality of the kingdom of God. When we're involved in the kingdom, we know that the kingdom is real, Jesus is real, God actually came to this planet, not a Martian on another planet, but God came to this planet fully and really in the person of Jesus Christ, and he brought his kingdom. He set his kingdom in motion. 
We've been looking this weekend at living the reality of the kingdom, not just believing it, knowing it to be real, but living it in our lives. And today, to take us forward in this, I want to talk about the reality of the kingdom at work in your heart. On one occasion, Jesus said, the kingdom does not come without observation. The kingdom of God is among you. He was referring to his own person. Where the king is, there is the kingdom. But now for us, after the resurrection, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the kingdom is not just amongst us, but the reality is in us. Wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. And the king is living on the inside of you by his Holy Spirit. The kingdom is within you. So it's encouraging us to take a good look at inside to see the progress of God's kingdom. We know that the kingdom is real. And we know that the kingdom is in us. So we need to rediscover the last art of spiritual reflection just to have a look at the state of our hearts. When we talk about goal setting in any part of life, it always begins with knowing where you are. And it's all very well for us to encourage you as cell leaders and Christian leaders that you might grow in your spiritual life, but that always begins with the knowledge of where you are, where you need to grow. Thank God that when we look inside, we don't just see how much further we have to go, we see how far we have come. And so much of the kingdom relates to the state of our hearts. The kingdom has come on the inside. And so... We need to know not just Jesus, but know ourselves. And self-reflection, self-knowledge is a very important part of spiritual growth and the spiritual life. Now we might say it's not, it's not possible to know what's going on inside anybody's heart, even our own, because God alone knows the heart. But this is the point of the prayer. Search me, O Lord, and show me what's going on inside. And by the way, the human spirit, ignited by the Holy Spirit, can give us a lamp of the Lord that will shine into the innermost parts of our lives so that we can become, in the words of that very positive faith confession, that we become God-inside-minded people. But as I mentioned, spiritual reflection today is a little bit of a lost art. We seem to have moved away from self-examination. Why, I wonder? Ahead of my list in answering that question would be the busyness of life. My, 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 my. How did you use your extra hour? Did you even notice it? It happened so quickly. And, you know, what happens on your mobile phones, it doesn't even say, hey, you've got an extra hour, enjoy it. It just changes it. You wake up and you think, oh, well, it feels like normal to me. Life is so busy, especially in London. And for us as believers, we barely make it from one meeting to the other with body and soul relatively intact, let alone spending time in spiritual reflection. My, that means being alone with God, spending time with God. Scary. We are too busy to spend time peacefully and quietly with God. There's also something else that's working against us. Now, we can overcome these things, but you need to know there are challenges here. One of the things that's working against us is superficiality. You know, they say beauty is more than skin deep. Spirituality has got to be more than the clothes you wear or how you behave outwardly. 
But there is today a kind of thing that as long as you look good, as long as everything's fine superficially, don't ever probe beneath the surface. And when you have fellowship with somebody else, smile sweetly, say, God loves you, goodbye, God bless you. But in our cell group meetings, we encourage you to go deeper than that superficial stuff and to ask questions. So in an in a, in a environment where there's no condemnation, an environment when there's encouragement, we can begin to talk about the stuff that's really going on. But that in itself is a problem because we're scared of what we're going to find. Please don't look inside me. You might find out what's really going on and you won't like me anymore. Fear of what we may find often scares people away from all thought of self-reflection. Then there is the obstacle of wrong theology. Right theology will lead you to look inside, to look at what God wants you to see not what the devil wants you to see. The devil's the accuser. And we all know that we're not what we should be. And when we look inside and we get all bogged down by a spirit of depression and condemnation, that's not what self-reflection is. We need to know that a robust understanding of what it means to be in the kingdom will give us encouragement to look inside knowing that no matter what, we are loved by God. Dwayne in his song, when I first heard it, I never knew you, never knew you, never knew you, never knew you. I expected the next line to say, depart from me. <laughs> I never knew, I never knew you, but you first loved me. Even when we didn't know him, when our back was turned on him, and we were running in the opposite direction, God still loved us. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, God loved us. In fact, for us, really, Christ died for us even before we were born. Even before we were born, God loved us. And that love has been signed and sealed and delivered in the cross of Jesus Christ. Something else we need to think about is, what does it mean to be spiritual? Now, we, as Christians, have our own definitions of that. We'll come to some of those in a moment. But if you look into the world, you find there are many, many forms of spirituality. From the sublime to the ridiculous, from one extreme to the other. You have the New Age spirituality on the one side, and if you go right to the other end of the spectrum, you come across an atheist spirituality. I'd have thought that's a contradiction in terms. All kinds of different forms of spirituality. Reducing spirituality to ethics, aesthetics, inner serenity, mindfulness, humanitarianism, or, in the words of many, a kind of oneness with nature. But for us as Christians, spirituality does not consist in any single one of those things. Rather, spirituality is a description of what the Holy Spirit does. In the Bible, the adjective spiritual always relates to the Holy Spirit. To be spiritual means to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who is working in all of our lives as believers is constantly present, always motivating us, always inspiring us, empowering us, leading us, guiding us, producing fruit in us, and drawing us closer and closer to God. That is true spirituality. 
Be very careful when you start to examine spirituality in the way that the world considers success. Who is a successful Christian? Why, it is a man or a woman who is earning a lot of money, has got a good job, got a good house, and kids are turning out. No, 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 no. These things are not signs of spirituality so much. It's much deeper than that. So there are some dangers to spiritual or any form of self-examination. One good opening question is, is this even possible? How can we truly know the state of our hearts? Jeremiah makes it clear. He says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Of course, God knows it. Next question is, should we do this? Is it necessary? Is it necessary? Should, should we be looking inside? Surely should be looking at Jesus. Look inside, look at Jesus. So it might not even be desirable in the minds of some people to be looking inside. We know it can be devastating sometimes to see what's going on inside. It can be sometimes a negative experience and a discouraging experience. That's why we need to establish first a positive theology of encouragement. Alongside a realistic appraisal of our spiritual progress, to me, it's astonishing. We'll make goals for anything. We'll check how much money's in the bank. We'll make all kinds of assessment. When it comes to the most important thing about us, our relationship with Jesus, we hardly ever bother to go through any form of spiritual appraisal. And of course, we've been talking about some of the dangers. This was very clear to me from the experience of a revival. Revival that took place in Pensacola, 1995 through around the year 2000. They tell us that as a result of that, around 4 million people attended. Around 200,000 people were saved. They tell us during that time, it began on the American Father's Day celebration on one Sunday in 1995, and God began to do something, and it did build into a powerful move of God, and there were many, many good things that happened, and I believe many, many people were genuinely saved. But it was a revival that attempted to restore some lost truths to the church of Jesus Christ, namely repentance and a call to holiness. Now, it's admirable because Jesus said, you know, repent, the kingdom of God is here, and it's important that we grow in holiness. But somehow, something crept in to some elements of that revival. So I met people who had been to the revival and afterwards said, never again, I'm even going to try to be a Christian. How can something which is desiring to bring you closer to God can drive you away? Well, I tell you what was happening. Some false standards were set up somewhere along the line so that if you had any sin in your life, you weren't saved. If you looked on the front cover of uh, Cosmopolitan magazine, I don't know, that's not a girly-burly magazine. I don't hear yeah, Cosmopolitan magazine, but you know, I would think you want to, you want to bring people to the spirit of condemnation, talk about Playboy or something like that. Or Playgirl, by the way, just to be, to be non-sexist today. If you've seen the front cover of Cosmopolitan magazine, you ought to come here and repent. And they taught you somehow, they got the idea if there was any sin in your life, that was it. God was going to reject you. So people came night after night, and I know some of them personally, 
to try and live up to what God required of them. Somehow there was a standard set that unless you lived like this, God didn't love you. God was, it was all, all over for you and people that I can't live like that. I thank God that the true gospel is to lift you up, not to pull you down. The true gospel is never about what you can do, only, only what God has done for you. And yes, repentance is important, and yes, we're to grow in holiness. But we begin from a base of the assurance of God's love for us and his total acceptance through the blood of Jesus. So we resist in all forms of spiritual self-reflection. We resist introspection. I'm using introspection in a technical term, technical way. That's if you look inside, it's introspection. But, but this is a kind of negative way of looking inside. Introspection. It's exactly what I've just been describing. People who say, well, you know, I've got to see if there's fruit. Because if there's no fruit in me, I can't be saved. You are never judged according to your salvation by how much fruit you have. You're judged by your relationship with Jesus Christ, which of course should be fruitful. But there are times when I feel very fruity, other times when I don't. There are times when fruit seems evident, other times you've got to look very hard and find nothing. I'm like that, I feel like that fig tree. But thank God, if the kingdom is really in you, there is always fruit, even if it is not visible to the naked eye. Other people say, well, unless you have these good works accompanying your faith, then your faith isn't real, and you're not really saved. Or if you fall back into some bad works again, then you lose your salvation, and it'll go right back to square one like snakes and ladders. Of course, there is a danger of self-deception on the other side. Some people are so self-confident, they don't have to bother. I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't feel there's nothing wrong with me. Uh, um, and they are deceiving themselves. I remember many years ago when we had a man who come minister here was very strongly uh, seeking God for revival in Britain and he came and, 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 and he, he preached repentance and I was leading on the platform back in that day and, and he, he, he said, right, everybody get on your knees and repent and people seemed to get it. Everywhere people were on their knees, some were weeping, some were crying, some were wailing, some were hiling. I was just standing there with nothing to repent of. I said, God, this is ridiculous, so I better get on my knees. Got on my knees, I thought it's going to look bad. Everybody else is seeking God, and I'm just standing here. And I thought, God, you know, I really have nothing to repent of. And I promise you, I was not running off with the organist. We didn't even have an organist. <laughs> it was impossible. There was nothing that I could put my finger on to say, ah, ha, ha, there you are, you see. And then I began to reflect, and I thought, oh, boy, what are you saying, Colin? Are you saying you're perfect? No, you're not perfect. So I began to repent. I repented of having nothing to repent about. <laughs> Self-deception. Then there is this uh, danger of uh, making assessments through external standards, trying to show that we're doing the right thing. So. We're trying to assure ourselves by projecting a super spiritual front, and there's all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff like that. And frankly, I'm, I'm tired of it. Why can't we be real? Why can't we be real? It's not trying to show off in the eyes of other people to look spiritual. True spirituality is a heart issue. As I said earlier, neither are the signs of success that the world looks for are signs of spiritual success or true spirituality. Your spirituality is not measured by how much money you have. You say, I'm prosperous. God has blessed me. 
I've got a beautiful wife. God has blessed me. She's less beautiful than she used to be, so I've changed her, and now God has doubly blessed me. <laughs> I know, and, I, and I, I, I try to talk to these people to say, stop it. But over the years, not so much these days, we don't let them near you, but over the years, these people with their $5,000 suits, with their perfect wife and their perfect kids, and you look at the wife and you see the scars that are there from the surgeon who has put more plastic in her <laughs> so that she can look perfect for him. Wow, wow, wow. That's not spiritual. Oh, you know, I'm a real spiritual person. All my kids are in the ministry. And if you had enough faith, your kids would be perfect like my kids. Well, go behind the scenes. And it ain't the Waltons. That's what I can say. So these external things. Neither is it, you know, the stuff that is sort of like so subjective. I feel good. I feel holy. I feel spiritual. Spirituality is not a feeling. Now, there are some good feelings that can be associated with good times with God. And there are some bad feelings that can be associated with good times for God. Blessed are those who mourn. Spirituality is not measured by your emotions. If it was, I'd, I'd be saved today because I feel good. But maybe tomorrow I won't feel saved. Does that mean I'm suddenly not saved? You cannot test spiritual issues just by emotions or by appearances. Many years ago, um, Reinhard Bonke was preaching the gospel in Uhuru Park in um, Nairobi, in Kenya. And I was there the opening night and the second night. Then we went on our own program in different parts of Kenya. It was just amazing to be there. Rano Bonke, great Pentecostal revivalist evangelist. In the opening night, he preached. Wow, it was powerful. The gospel was so clear, absolutely amazing. I even remember the illustrations, powerful. And just when it came time for the appeal, the rain came down. And the crowds scattered. For a moment, I felt a little bit of relief. Because if Reinhard Bonke can be rained off, then it made me feel better all the times I was rained off and turned to the clouds and said, get behind me, Satan. And they just laughed at me and spat more water on my parade. Anyway, next night we came back. Reinhard Bonke preached. And it was good but nothing like the previous night. And I was with a man who was an elder in the church, and uh, he tended to judge preachers externally, you know, everything going well, preaching well. I, I never judge my message by how I feel when I get off the platform. Times I feel, oh, that was fantastic, and very little has happened, because it's not an end in itself. It's what God is doing. So don't ever judge. Somebody's yelling and shouting and screaming and everybody's applauding. Everything's, don't think that's a deep work of the Spirit necessarily. I have found over the years that the times when I've struggled the most in the pulpit and got off feeling low and depressed. So low, I'm with you always. Thank God he said low, I'm with you always because when I'm low, he's there with me. And I've discovered after those times something was happening far deeper than in the froth and bubble of superficial kind of ministry. And... Uh, he said, oh, there's nobody going to be saved tonight. 
What a pity, they weren't here last night. They would have been saved last night, but not tonight. And I said, don't, don't, don't say it. Bonke is wrestling with dark angels. He is breaking through. You're going to see thousands of people say, no, 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 last night he was good. Tonight, average. No, he's not going to, people are going to be saved. And I said, you just watch this. When the appeal was made, thousands came to Christ. And the elder said, how could he? He even said, I didn't want to say it, but he passed it on. But he said, Bonky was rubbish tonight. He didn't preach well. Last night he preached well. It's nothing to do with Bonky. It's to do with Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit. So we don't judge by our emotions. Although it's wonderful to experience God and to have wonderful emotions that are associated with spiritual sublime experiences. Yes. But we need to judge by more objective standards than that. As you know, something happened to the clocks last night. I'm confused. We, I don't really know what time it is, but you're here and I'm here. It must, we must be the right time. What time is it, by the way? Oh, well, 12.30. I've got 12.31. Any advancement on 12.31? 12.30.32, 12.30.33. Well, what is the time? There's so many versions of the time. A deeper question, what is it? BST, GMT, or UTC? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, friends, sometimes I'm clever and sometimes I Google it. <laughs> I Googled it. I found out so much here, I've got to be careful because if I, because it's probably going to bore you after a while. Are we GMT now? Are we BST? British Standard Time? What are we? GMT? Okay, well, there's a confusion. Well, what is GMT anyway? Greenwich Mean Time. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean, Greenwich Mean Time? Well, I Googled it and found out. Okay, longitude zero, the Greenwich Meridian. Because the Earth is tilted and the rate of rotation isn't always exact and accurate, when the sun reaches its highest point, over the Greenwich Meridian, that's when we would, in the daytime, that's when we'd say it is noon at Greenwich. But that time varies. It varies up to 16 minutes. So in order to come to a standard, they say we'll take the mean time. In other words, this is like the average, this is like the mean. And so they've set and established a standard by which we live. Now, there are various versions of this down through the years. I found this absolutely fascinating because years and years ago, it is only just tomorrow. I mean, half an hour ago, it was yesterday because years and years ago, astronomers judged the day it would start at noon. So this morning was yesterday, and now it's tomorrow. Well, was yesterday's tomorrow, today. And so somebody said, this is ridiculous. We've got to start the day when we get up. And so, okay, we'll start the day at midnight. So midnight, stroke of midnight, very next second is the following day. That had to be standardized. Can you imagine the confusion? Think about this. If you went to your boss tomorrow and said, I'm early because I forgot to set my clock back. I'm going on the other kind of time. Now, it won't work. You could try it in the spring when you put your clocks back. You could arrive a week, uh, week late, <laughs> arrive an hour late, and, and say, oh, 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 oh my, my watch says. But there's got to be a standardization of time and employment, isn't there? 
What about in the legal profession? Where were you at 9.25 on such and such a date? What is that, GMT, UST, or BST? <laughs> so there is, the lawyers will tell us, there is a legal, legal standard. Also military operations, also for the weather. So we have established an objective standard that everybody submits to, simply in the area of time. What is it with God? God's knowledge of you is the absolute standard. And so when we are looking inside, it's not about how we feel. It's not even always just by what we do. In my article in Revival Times, I remind you that some people think that spirituality is only running around doing responsible things. You can be a very responsible person and be far from God. Of course, as a believer, we want to be responsible. Can't judge by these outward things. The, the, the test, the objective test, is God's absolute knowledge of what's going on inside. That's why the psalmist turns to the right person and says, God, you search my heart. You tell me. And this relationship has a two-way road. God invites us to allow him to know us and reveal himself to us that we may know him and that we may know ourselves. And knowing yourself, now again, another, another, another pitfall, because who are you supposed to know? The goal of spiritual reflection is to discover who you really are. It's not the mess that you find beneath the surface. Many of us are pretty skilled at keeping the mess just a little bit below the surface. It's when your mother-in-law suddenly comes to visit and you throw everything out of sight and you say, oh, what a nice house I have. And if she opens a drawer, all will be revealed. Don't go there. We have that same kind, shove everything down, hide everything, look nice, smile sweetly, and everybody would think it's okay. But we know it's not okay. We know it's not okay. In fact, I've never met anybody that isn't a mess, at least a bit beneath the surface. I've never met anybody that if you really got to know them, they wouldn't say, do you know what? I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Now, when I look at you today, butter wouldn't melt in your mouth, not even ice cream. And outwardly, most of you are telling me, by the way you're looking, I'm not struggling. Some are saying, I am struggling. <laughs> but we don't wear our heart on our sleeve. But, and, and neither should you expose all of that to everybody all the time. Only a fool tells what's in his heart at all, on all occasions. But there are very important occasions when you should open up and be real with yourself and be real with God. First of all, in the secret place of your own heart and of your own relationship with God. Secondly, with those whom you love and trust and who love you and trust you. We aim for that. I don't believe even in cell group meetings that everybody can be equally connected together in the same level of depth, but I do believe it is a realizable goal to have one or two people who are with you not just your friends, so that they can encourage you to just to carry on as normal, but people who love you enough so that when you share with them the stuff that's happening, what's going on in your life, and, and frankly, 
for none of us does this look pretty, but the fact is they know that God loves you and they know that the mess just beneath the surface of your lives does not define who you are. The goal of spiritual reflection is not just to dig up and dredge up all the stuff that is negative and, and, and horrible about us. The Bible calls it the flesh and never truer words were spoken. And one preacher said from this platform many years ago, yea, verily, the flesh stinketh. That stinking flesh is there, but we have also the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is far more powerful than any negative stuff and he works far more deeply than any of that flesh stuff can go. So whatever's going wrong, whatever is there, we should not allow it to bring us into a spirit of condemnation, but that we should dig deeper and deeper and deeper and discover through this art of spiritual reflection the gold that God has placed within you. It's the gold, not the dross, not the mess, not the rubbish, but it's the gold, the precious gold of the presence of God and the renewed nature that the Holy Spirit has given you. So true self-examination will go deeper than dwelling on the mess just beneath the surface, but it will probe deeper and deeper and deeper until it strikes gold. And the gold, your true nature, who you truly are, your real identity as a child of God, the new creation reality that is you, the real you, the you that God made you to be, even though you were not that person before you met him. He had his hand on you and said, I am going to make you into the person I always intended you to be, and that is who you are. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away and everything has become new. A new heart, a new spirit, a new nature, a new disposition, a new love for God, which is your God-given right. It is what defines you as a child of God. And that's what we should do for each other. Help dig and keep on digging until we come to who we really are. And when that love for Jesus, with that passion for Jesus, it's there. Sometimes it's buried between layers of rubble. But when we probe deep enough by the Holy Spirit and we allow our human spirit to be set, on, set alight with the Holy Spirit, that connection can shed light on the deepest part of us. And we know that we are loved by God. That's the base of everything. And when you know you're loved by God, you don't mind opening up. If you, if you knew somebody totally loved you, would never condemn you, and has done everything possible to make life what it, the best it could possibly be for you, if you discover, would you not be willing to open up to that person? God grant that we find it in one another, but before we even think of that, we must discover it in God. There's a story that was told on American radio, hosted by the Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. And this story was told on air, and I want to repeat it to you. The story goes of a regular Sunday service, the pastor was ready to stand up and preach, 
And he said, before I bring God's message to you, I want to introduce a special guest we have. This special guest, I've known him since I was a child. And this old man steps onto the platform, takes the microphone. He's invited to share a word of greeting or encouragement, anything that God shows him. Now, this man simply told a story, just like Jesus told stories. And he said, one time, many decades ago, a father and his son, and his son's best friend, went on a sailing trip off the Pacific coast. Unfortunately, a storm blew up so fierce, so overwhelming, with the waves so high that though the father was an experienced sailor, couldn't control the boat or keep it upright, and the boat capsized and the three were swept out into the ocean. The father was able to hold on to a lifeline as the two children were being swept further and further away, and he realized he was faced with a choice almost impossible to make and unthinkable for any one of us. Who was he going to save? His son or his son's friend. And the father made a split-second decision, but rooted in a profound faith in God. He knew his son was a believer, and so he said, Son, I love you, but through the rescue rope to the unsaved friend of his son. The sun perished, body never found. And then the old man sat down. People were a bit disturbed, first of all. What a weird story. I mean, you know, what a mean old father. What are you? I didn't understand. Two teenagers, though, their curiosity was greater than just sitting there mumbling. They said, you know, what are you talking about? What a ridiculous story. I mean, what? No father would ever do that, and you, you just made it all up. He said, I made it up, did I? Let me tell you this, he said. I was that father in the boat, and your pastor was the son, the best friend of my son. He says, I know, now motion overtaking the old man, I know perhaps more than most the depth of the love of God who allowed his only son to be lost, uh, to be rejected, that a lifeline could be thrown to the rest of the world. That is the love of God. Now, no human story has this direct parallel because it's not, it's not just that Jesus was lost forever and body never seen again. His body was seen again on resurrection day, and God raised him powerfully from the dead. But that does not take away from the depths of God's love. As we heard in the offering talk today, this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, in the presence of such love, how can we not say, search me, O God, know me. Find out what's happening, Jesus. Let me, let me see. Let me see the good stuff that's happening. Let me see the power of the Holy Spirit that is working within me so that I, through the Spirit, can put to death all that nonsense stuff. And let that pure passion, the reality of the kingdom of God at work in me, let that win over every negative thought 
every negative deed. Thank you.